When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshi's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby. I'm Adam Bob. And First Act is a podcast where we talk to successful entrepreneurs and ideas people about the rough and ready road to success. Yeah, we certainly do, Sess. So what I love about making this podcast with you is not just your wonderful presence, because <laughs> it is very wonderful, um, but I love it how honest everyone has been about their failures as well as their successes. And I know the word failure doesn't even really capture it because you always learn something uh, when things go pear-shaped. Anyway, I'm rambling. Let's get into today's first act. Who have we got? Today's guest is a man who wants to strengthen your conversation muscle. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> He's created a global community of more than 50,000 people all over the idea that having a cuppa and a chat could change your life. But it hasn't been an easy ride for Luke Cook, founder and host of Cuppa.tv, because when COVID hit, his first business, Fun Locker, went down with it. And out of that difficult time, came something really quite magical, something that has now turned into Cuppa TV, an online live and on-demand video streaming and interactive platform that Luke says is like Netflix, but where binge-watching actually improves your work or life. Welcome, Luke. I, I reckon you both should do my intro all the time. That was amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, I ha- happily will because you're you're a great guy. And, look, I think um, for anyone listening, um, we are going to be calling Luke Cookie because that is uh, – he's not he's not the Cookie Monster, but he is, uh, he's well known as Cookie around, around our traps. So, uh, Cookie, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Now, I, I know you start your cuppa sessions with a cuppa, but we always start our first act with the first act icebreaker. So mm-hmm. um, just to get, get things moving, uh, your icebreaker for today is what is the most vivid food memory that you've replayed over and over in your head? It could be an incredible meal or a moment that just gives you the warm and fuzzies. First thing that comes to your head. Are you serious, the first thing? Yeah. <laughs> a kebab. <laughs> a, uh, and the reason why can I just say is it used to be a kebab at the end of the night after I've had a very good night with my friends and it always used to just top it off for me but it used to always be after a good night with friends and that type of stuff I don't know why that just popped up then maybe I'm craving good memory now look let's get into your first act uh you talk for a living do you, did you always have the gift of the gab uh yeah um, I was always that kid at school that used to, you know, stand up on stage, lead the uh, assemblies and all that type of stuff. And my first ever job uh, was lightning Luke on the streets of Sydney, handing out free cans of Coke and doing live crosses on the radio. So I, I feel the journey to get to Cuppa is sort of like a, uh, it's an evolution to get back to what I'm, what I love. <laughs> the gift of the gab was a, a a help or a hindrance. Like you mentioned, you were the one getting up on stage, but were you also the one 
in the back corner jabbering away to their mates that the teachers would want to uh, throw a book at? There, w- there was a few of those uh, instances on the report card, yes. Um, there was a few standing outside, Luke. Um, you're being too noisy, yes. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's 100% why I'm where I'm at today. It's, uh, you know, the ability to be able to connect and communicate in an authentic way has always been, you know, instilled in me from my, from my mum, uh, always. And so, you know, it was, uh, it was quite naturally easy. I think the problem now is, is that I'm more, I'm, I'm MC at most weddings more than I am a guest. <laughs> so you mentioned, so you've done, you're MCing a lot, but you've also been Lightning Luke, as you mentioned. What did you learn from being Lightning Luke? Uh, you know, when I got my first job in radio, it was, um, it was like a foot in the door. I felt like I was already connected to the industry. Um, it was such a fun industry uh, when I first started um, back in 2000. I remember I got the job and I always thought, you know, this is my chance to kick that door open and 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 do what I can to be as successful as I can. I remember um, getting the job and I didn't know how to drive a manual car and the car was manual. So I had to learn within a week before starting that job um, how to drive a manual car and I will just say that I stalled it um, as I drove out the driveway the first time. Um, but, you know, the first cross it was nerve-wracking. Um, but the real joy came when people started to arrive and the excitement on their face and just wanting to be there. Um, it, it was just such a driving factor for me way back then. I still I still remember it as being probably one of the, the best times in my career because it was just it was just good to be out and 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 talking to people and and making people happy. What was the lightning moniker for? Were you like there in a flash? What, what, what did you have what? some amazing outfit? I had bleach blonde hair at the time, as an FYI, um, and uh, yeah, that was one of those moments when Mum said you look ridiculous, but I thought I looked amazing. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was uh, that was one part of it. Um, they wanted something to rhyme together because they always do in radio, um, and yeah, I never strike twice. I was always at one location for for that one time, and never strike twice in that location. Yeah. So you mentioned your mum and you also mentioned her just uh, earlier in the convo about how she kind of influenced your conversation style in a way. Like, is she the reason that you're sociable? And what did you learn from her and your dad about um, the lessons that you've taken into your work now? Yeah. So I suppose, um, you know, when I was four, um, my dad passed away from a heart attack. So um, uh, my mum was a single mum for pretty much all her life, but uh, and you know when you grow up with a single mum who just lives and breathes who you are and wants you to be, you know who you are as well. You you know you, you naturally just um, replicate who your parent is. And mum was always a social person, like she still is. She she claims that, or no, she does. She's got bad arthritis, but you give her a dance floor and she's right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think for me it was you know just learning from mum and and giving people the time to listen and talk to them um, was just such great grounding for me. Um, looking up to her uh, during those early stages of my life when dad passed. Did you are you uh, only child or do you have siblings? I was an only child as well. Most only children they say you know it's a bit weird only children, but um, uh, no. Uh, You know, mum always got me into, you know, different activities. Um, Mum used to take me to the football games that I used to love. Um, She really evolved her life around things that I enjoyed and loved. And 
Um, yeah, whilst I was an only child, I was never alone, if that makes sense. Um, I was always out and about with friends and socialising and um, from a very young age. Well, shout out to your mum because sounds like she went above and beyond making sure that you, you know, you got out to everything and you got a very sociable upbringing. Yeah, totally. Big ups for mum. Big ups. Now, you mentioned the lightning Luke thing and getting your foot in the door in radio, but you actually studied marketing and PR at uni? Yeah, it was a diploma and um, I suppose when you get out of school, you you try and work out, well, what's next? And I knew I didn't really want to go into university because I really wasn't sure. So PR and marketing was definitely, you know, something that interested me. It's another way to be able to communicate and get messages out there. And so I did a one-year course there, did a lot of training programs internally at organisations as well during that time. Uh, but, yeah, coming out of that it definitely helped me get the job at um, the radio station as well, that background. And that was the Australian radio network uh, that you were working for. But I know just from stalking your LinkedIn maybe that you worked for Essex FM in the UK. Uh, <laughs> any, any wild stories from this part of your first act? Oh, I love how I love how you go back to those moments. Um, I was one of those travellers that went overseas with a mate. By the time I went overseas, I was, I was already Sydney Promotions Director of 2WS, the radio station, at the age of 24. And I just thought at that time it was probably good to just get a bit of life experience. Um, so I went overseas and, you know, my friends ended up travelling everywhere and I sort of, again, just started thinking about, well, how can I further my career over here? So I found a job at SXFM and you'll never believe what my first ever job was. I had to pull together <laughs> Essex Babes competition. Um <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, you could probably do that. But, um, yeah, I, my job was to organise Essex Babes competition. It wasn't my idea, by the way, um, but it was my job to coordinate. <laughs> Sounds like rest. a few geezers in a room <laughs> coming up with that one. It was uh, a lot of tanned ladies and um, <laughs> there was probably, yes, you're right, sir, there was probably um, there was a lot of old geezers in, in high-profile roles up there that um, probably made that one happen. I remember when we spoke to Maddie J right at the very beginning of this second season, he was talking about um, also the massive differences between the marketing budgets over there to what they are here. Did you come across that as well? Yeah, there was a there was a, a big difference in the way that they executed over there. It did definitely feel like they were ahead of the time than what Australia was. So I always knew that as well from a from a grounding perspective that if I had that on the CV. Um, I could always come back to Australia and and find another job. So then you come back to Australia. At what point did you realise that you wanted to do something other than the marketing and PR and, and when did you decide you wanted to go into business for yourself? Yeah, so um, the journey when I came back, I, I came back to Australian Radio Network again and um, I ended up becoming Network Promotions Manager um, of all the radio stations across the country. Um, that was when I was 27. And then um, I was always told, Cookie, you'd be great at sales. You'd be great at sales, Cookie. You'd make more money. You'd be great at sales. And I um, thought, you know what? I'm hearing everything that people are saying, so why not give it a go? And I, I went to a company called MCM Media, who used to produce a lot of radio shows like Take 40 Australia, My Generation. They used to do Live at the Chapel and music series. They even launched Vivo in Australia as well. So it was such a great organisation. And again, I was just always progressed through the ranks and 
next thing I knew, I was sales director of a media organization and I sort of lost my soul in all aspects. And it's because, you know, as as an employee, a lot of the times you get progressed so quickly that you don't even know who your true self is. Um, and all of a sudden I looked at my life and it became too much about money instead of happiness. And whilst I was driving a beautiful Audi and all the rest of it, and I just bought my home, uh, an apartment um, in uh, Five Dock, and I just went, you know what, I think this is not me. I, I, I lost a lot of who I was, my truth. And a lot of what I'm doing right now is is helping people understand their truth and, and who they are and why they're here. And my biggest mistake was I replicated my boss in style and who I was and, and like trying to be like him. And I didn't create my own leadership style and my, my own truth about who I am and what I, what I respect. And um, I reached burnout at that stage. And I remember a mate of mine, Hodgie, I called him up one day. He goes, mate, you're all over the shop. What are you doing? This is not you. I've never had a mate talk to me over the phone like he did before. I can't say it on here because there was a lot of swear words involved, but he pretty much served it to me straight away going, this is not who you are, Cookie. I know who you are. Why are you doing this? And so I, I took three months off. And I went on a journey, which I called back then recharge to take charge. I had no job to go to. And I started thinking about, well, what intrinsically is me? And I think at the time I was still at that stage of burnout and I made the decision and I started thinking about, well, how can I just make people happy? Um, people love experiences. I've got great connections with talent and sporting clubs, codes, musicians. How can I create like the red balloon on steroids for the community and give people what they want in life. And that's where the journey of Fun Locker came about. And uh, I took the leap one day. And the reason why I took the leap is I started recording my journey by a video in the car and posting it on LinkedIn. And once you do that, once you commit to a journey and you post it out in public, it's hard for you to go back because then your credibility is on the line as well. So what do you think made Fun Locker successful? Because you, as you mentioned, you know, there was already um, Red Balloon pretty much taking up the lion's share of the experience marketplace when you joined and they'd snaffled up things like um, Adrenaline, what experience else? Experience Oz. Yeah. Them, yeah, like loads of, of micro brands within that brand. What was it about Fun Locker that, that made it successful? Yeah, well, the dream of Fun Locker was to to match experiences to people's interests. So it was in between a red balloon and like Tinder. Um, and the way it would work is whenever you logged on, you'd say yes or no to new experiences and we'd learn about what your interests are so we could serve you more experience in life that you care about. The methodology then carried into what companies would reward their staff with. So instead of rewarding them with a, a generic gift why not reward them with the ability to stand on the field with their favorite footy team or to get a one-on-one -on -one experience with a celebrity chef that they love so it was personalized that was our hope and dream you know would i say fun locker was successful i wouldn't say it was successful i i would say it was a real great learning experience for me in business and i learned a lot through that process of what not to do and I also learned 
if you're driven in it by your inner purpose that you know you, you just don't let it go until you know the, the moment that you need to so we get to 2020 the big mm. year a big year for a lot of people a terrible year for a lot of people and that's basically the year when Funlocker basically crumbled overnight um, yeah. and you wrote an incredible article for us on Koshi's business builders about this one of the most powerful lines was when you wrote I set myself on a guilt trip um, asking how could I put my young family in this situation at the age of 39. What was that like? Mate, when I launched Funlocker, I was one of these founders that invested everything into it. Um, I believed so much in what my, you know, what I wanted to do in life and and what I wanted to do in business. And um, I ended up selling my apartment and we lived off that for a couple of years, but I used some of that equity that I had achieved to actually build the Funlocker app. And we were so close in a lot of areas to being snapped up by companies like Woolworths Rewards who wanted us to help fuel their experiences into their rewards platform. So there was all these things that were bubbling away and a lot of great conversations were happening. And then when COVID hit, it just wiped us clean. And because I was self-funded, I didn't have anything left. When COVID hit, those first four weeks when I started seeing bookings being pulled from underneath us and, and the slate being wiped, I was on the ground a lot. And I'm very open with my emotions and and the journey that you go through in life. And I'm not afraid to share my vulnerability. Um, but yeah, that was that was a really hard time because I didn't even know how I was going to put food on the table. I was 39 years old and I just went. What have I done? Well, I went on a massive guilt trip going, I put my family through everything in the journey of a startup, which other entrepreneurs would know, uh, to now this point where I just didn't even know how I was going to survive. I think it was a hard time for everybody not to um, downplay your experience, but out of that, something else blossomed, didn't it? That's probably the idea for Kappa, what you were going through was probably a kernel that made you think that you needed to start something where people could have conversations and share what they were feeling about this time? Yeah, it was. Um, I remember I was walking up to my local coffee shop to get my double shot latte, which is probably the one thing that gave me joy in the morning, uh, besides my beautiful family and kids. But, you know, it was, it was at that moment where I was walking up to the coffee shop going, oh, how do I help other people? Because I knew that COVID was bad, but I knew that mental health challenges would be the primary thing that people would be, you know, that is the most concern in the market at that time. And um, as I was walking back, I, I gave uh, Jill Kovitz, who uh, was my business partner then, and I gave her a call and I said, Jill, how do we just help people start their day with a dose of positivity and inspiration? And I said, you know what, let's just, let's just start a virtual cafe. I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to do it. I, I just said, let's just start an online thing where we interview, you know, celebrities and experts and and hear about their vulnerabilities and stories and let's help people just motivate. And, you know, within a four-week period, three-week period, we had our first live session on April 20th um, with Gus Wallen from Gotcha for Life and a TV and radio personality. Um, and we spoke about mateship. We spoke about, you know, being there for others and the feedback from that first session was off the charts. We had like a couple of hundred people tune in and we just knew that, 
you know, this was good for us to do, not only for the community, but for me personally as well. We'll talk a little bit more about how the evolution of Kappa um, just after this short commercial break. We're back with Cookie, aka Luke Cook. <laughs> when did you realise you could, you know, that these conversations, there was legs to this business, you know, that you could commercialise these conversations with thought leaders, experts, Olympians, and turn them into really valuable content that, um, you know, I mean, that businesses and people, you know, they can learn everything from about, you know, productivity to goal setting to mental health in the workplace. It just naturally came. And this is what I realised, like Fun Locker for me was always a sell. Kappa was never a sell because what happened was people were attending and they were people from all different walks of life, from, you know, EAs to senior leaders in business. And as soon as they saw what we were doing and because we were doing it free of charge, like we did it free of charge for a whole year. But what came out of the back of it was when people attended, the companies would ring me up and say, Cookie, can you do this for our business? Can you do a session with Sean Hall on energy? Can you do a session on resilience with Kamal Sama? Or can you get Lane Beachley to come and do a talk on mindset? And so we started getting business that way um, initially, and it, it just flowed. Everything that we did just flowed. It was easy. It felt right. And, you know, that's where the business model started to evolve was we started to realise that we could have a greater impact um, for businesses and and the community at large. And then we started doing um, bespoke programs like a series called Spring Into You where we help people navigate from fear to developing a life plan. And in that six-week period, we had 40 businesses sign up and a total audience pool of over 10,000 people. It, it, it just naturally flowed. Now, because like, obviously there's, there's, there's a bit of a gap there in time where you you were running it as it was as Cuppa of Life originally and then it became Cuppa TV. There was a bit of a, a period there where you, you probably weren't making money from it. Was that a difficult time or did you, you really stuck to your vision and you knew that there was something there, right? It was making such a big change in my life and the lives of others that I just knew intrinsically that I had to keep on going. Yep, the money was a challenge there, but, you know, I... I had mates, I had family that supported us during that early stage. And again, it's your network and your community that really rally around you. They did start making money and, you know, it was only, we only needed to feel, um, feed my mouth and, and Jill's mouth at the time. And we were getting by. We were 100% getting by, but we we're still getting momentum. That's such a powerful thing because I think so many founders who, who maybe listen to this podcast will go, you know what, like I had to really stick with my vision and not give up and have faith that where I was going was the right direction. The payoff is going to come at some point. But I know um, I know you, you mentioned Jill and unfortunately you lost uh, your, partner, your business partner, Jill Kovitz, early this year, right before the launch of Kappa TV. Um, I can't imagine how difficult uh, that, that has been for you and how do you feel you've managed to carry her legacy um it's it was it was a real surreal moment like leading up to it um six months before jill's passing we we decided to go well how do we evolve kappa we were sitting on about twenty thousand minutes worth of content after interviewing 300 odd experts personalities and storytellers and we weren't doing anything with that content and that's where the idea came along of of kappa.tv turning it into that binge watching uh for work and life and the netflix sort of version and um, we worked really hard because once 
once we had a new business model or the business model that we knew we were going to take into the future, um, there was a lot of work involved. Like we had to get agreements signed by all the talent. <laughs> we had to, you know, build the brand, um, change the brand from Cuppa of Life to Cuppa. Um, there was a lot of work involved and, you know, uh, Jill um, needed a break and she went away on holidays and, and unfortunately, you know, the, the water got her, the surf got her and she drowned. And when that happened, it, it rocked me completely. Like you can't, you can't, um, you can't imagine the, the, the mindset at that time. We were, we were three weeks away from launch um, and to have her pass, someone that had been on the Rocky Road journey with me who believed in me more than any of any of the business that we were running, um, to lose that person who was your rock next to you was a really challenging time. But I just want to state that it made me realise why we do what we do. And it made me realise that, like when I send out the note to our Kappa community about Jill's passing, the emails that I was getting back were just unbelievable. I've kept every one of them. And one of the, a couple of the emails actually said, Cookie, you were here for us for the last two years, or Cookie, you and Jill were here for us for the last two years, we're now here for you. And then you start to realise that, A, the business is bigger than you as individuals, B, it's not often that you get the love as a brand like we do. Um, you know, we've saved a life ourselves uh, during COVID when someone tuned in on their lowest day. And then, you know, we've got a bigger job to do. So. Jill's passing, whilst it hit me emotionally, I, I, I don't feel like she's gone. I feel like she's right next to me every single day. You mentioned the community then. It's not often, as you say, that a brand does have that backing of, of a community like that. And you've done a really great job by developing this community and you must have some kind of sense of pride about how you've managed to do that and how everyone is so engaged and there for each other. I am. Like we got an email one day that said, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> you know, like, again, you don't get called that as a brand that often. And it's, it's because people want connection. They want, they want to be involved in something that has purpose, that has meaning, that they can learn from. I think, you know, from my perspective, this is content for good. You know, too often we get caught in this vibe of, this constant barrage of negativity that we need to step out of that. We need to, you know, start focusing on things that, uh, that add to our, our lives, that, that we can learn from and grow within and get out of our bubble because as a community, if we all do that, if we step outside of our comfort zone and, and with the willingness to learn, um, oh, this place would be a lot better. Do you think because Cuppa is such a purpose-driven business, that is really also essential to its success? Yeah, 100%. I think if we, we came at it any other way, it wouldn't work. It's got to be authentic. Everything that we do with Cuppa has to be raw, has to be honest, has to be vulnerable, has to be um, authentic, like I said. The talent and the experts that we get in, we want them to be the exact same that we are. Hopefully that that encourages other people to grow and learn as they watch and tune in. And, you know, we've got great plans ahead for the business around how we, where we want to take it. And I've got dreams about where I want to take it as well. For us to be able to start there is, is awesome. And the pandemic might've done terrible things for people's mental health and 
or their finances and everything else. Do you think, though, that Kappa would be the success it was and is without the pandemic? I think we have to evolve, right? And my headspace goes, you know, we've built a really good virtual environment, but conversations don't start or end there, right? Conversations happen everywhere. So Kappa as a brand needs to evolve with that. You know, my focus is, is how do we get Kappa into more places and spaces? And how do we help people tackle conversations, difficult conversations? You know, how do we support them um, when they need to have a conversation with their son around their own mental health? Um, what is the conversational strategy for people who are new parents and giving them the tools that they need um, to tackle it? Because I can't tell you how many times that I have had people and businesses come back to me to say that their employees have come up to them and said, thank you so much for that conversation with Sarah Wilson on anxiety because I replayed that session with my daughter and we had a conversation about it. The challenge we have as a society, and I like what you said at the start there about a conversational muscle, is that our conversational muscle is weakening. You try and call a person now, you know, out of 20 people that you try and call, no one wants to talk to you. They want to text. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting stage where, Technology, for all its good, when do we start saying no to technology and when do we start embracing connection and presence and being there for people um, and flexing our muscle more uh, and learning? So, uh, yeah, you're right, Cess. I think it needs to get away from just virtual. We need to be in where conversations are happening, whether it's physical, virtual, who knows, Web3. <laughs> we want to be everywhere eventually. That's, yeah, that's so interesting. You've gone kind of the opposite it's like the reverse model. You've gone from vir- you're going from virtual to real life. I want my own cup of cafe. I want a physical cafe with a studio in the middle, and I want to be able to invite people down for conversations and let the experts be there. But you know, like that's a dream for me. Yeah, you're right. I'd love to get it more into the physical environment for sure. One of my favorite uh, things that I've learned was um, you have Dr. Amantha Imba, who is a behavioral workplace behavioral psychologist. She's speaking about monotasking, which it sort of like sticks in my head every single day. <laughs> Adam um, loves a monotask. Oh, he puts knows. his headphones on. Seth <laughs> knows. She knows from working with me that I'm like, excuse me, I'm monotasking. Um, the idea that we need to get away, like you were saying about like the world that we're in is so much about instant hits. And I think watching that one when she talked about how it's always so celebrated if you can multitask, but how amazing, how much work you can get done when you consciously go, I'm, this is my monotasking time and I'm going to select that. That to me has been something I just keep on, I keep on putting into my everyday vernacular. It's kind of like do not disturb mode. It's like I'm monotasking now. Oh, good. Yeah. So have you had a favourite tip or conversation during your time hosting Kappa? I get asked that question a fair bit. And oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no. But I, what I want to say straight away is my biggest growth has happened when I've had conversations with people that are different than me. I always found myself being a, you know, high-flying media sales executive I felt like I was in a helicopter looking over the land thinking, I know about Indigenous culture and connection, I know about disability, I know about transgender, but I never landed the helicopter long enough to to get on the ground and have a conversation with someone that is different than me. I wish every leader 
would do the same. Now, how you manage day to day, because you do wear so many hats in your business and it really spins on you. And if you're not at your best, it affects everything from, you know, your content, how you're doing these interviews to marketing your business, how you, it's everything. How do you keep yourself in check? Because it must be hard if you're, you know, you're having a conversation with someone and you're talking about issues around mental health and vulnerability and all that kind of thing. And you might be extremely stressed at that moment in time as well. Yeah, that um, physician heal thyself thing. Mm. How how are you healing Cookie? Oh, I was so good at it. I was uh, I used to get up early every morning and go do a meditation and see the sunrise and start the day with me. Um, I will state that that has sort of fallen off the rails since having another kid. I've got two kids under the age of four, and so it's been a little bit difficult to get that morning start. What I do do though really well right now is I segment time in my day to be just me. So I'll take longer blocks, half an hour, twice a day, um, where I'll go for a walk um, and I'll go down near the water and I'll just sit and just be. And then I always make sure that at five o'clock that I am with my family and I stay with my family until the girls are in bed and then I'll get back online and, and do some more work. But, you know, for me, it's those finding those pockets and those moments um, and just connecting with people that you care about and that care about you, like the phone calls that I make every single day to people and, and just having chats really does ground me. I want to get back to go seeing that sunrise and doing that meditation again, though, like that to me was always the joy of every day because you know you did something exactly for yourself that you love. Gosh, isn't that the dream, you know? we've I've chatted to some people, uh, various entrepreneurs who say, oh, you know what, I jump in the ocean at Bondi every morning and I have my my acai smoothie, uh, you know, <laughs> then I get, and then they have, do all this, um, all the things that, you know, basically by 7 or 8 a.m. I've, I've been in bed all that time while they've been out doing five different things that make their, their, their lives and minds and everyone's souls better. But it's very relatable that it's actually really hard as much as you want to go, I want to put that time into meditation or I want to do it. It, it. I guess we have to create our own routines of, you know, be cookie or be yourself. Sure, it is. And, and I've got like a, uh, my, my diary is like a colour coding dream, right? I've got so many different things where I do take the time just for me, but I have to put it throughout my day um, and treat it like a meeting like this. Well, Cookie, thank you so much for sharing your first act. We've loved chatting with you. Everybody, head to kappa.tv to sign up for yourself or your team at work if you've got people who you want to improve your team and your culture. It's a fantastic platform. I've learned so much from it. And, of course, um, don't forget to give this podcast a five-star review if you've enjoyed this chat. Uh, Thank you again, Cookie. Thank you so much to both of you. And thank you for listening. And join us next week for another fantastic first act conversation. Bye-bye.